Hey, it's Flaves, and this is Climate Changers, a podcast where we celebrate the heroes who are on the front lines of creating a new and sustainable resource and energy economy. Today, my guest is Dan Palkin, a conservative outreach coordinator for the Citizens Climate Lobby, or CCL. CCL is a nonpartisan grassroots organization that is working across party lines to create bipartisan solutions for climate change. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hey, great to be on. So this episode is part of a series on effective climate communications, and one of my goals is to find ways to transcend the liberal versus conservative battles, which have forced people to take sides and limited progress at a time when the challenge is so urgent. Your work as a conservative outreach fellow is where the rubber meets the road, and I look forward to learning what it means to work on the conservative side of a bipartisan climate organization. First, though, could you tell me what inspired you to become part of the climate movement? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a physics PhD student by training and by background. Um, I'm in the final several months of my PhD. And I got into climate because a friend of mine had joined Citizens Climate Lobby. And she had been urging me to join for a while. And I finally looked into it. And when I kind of first got in the door, I realized that this was a way to do something, frankly, a little more real world impacty than the work I was doing trying to detect dark matter, which, you know, if we succeed, will be a great intellectual feat and a great scientific feat, but it, it didn't seem to be answering the problems that people had on the ground. And I wanted something that was doing that in my life. So three years ago, I got involved with CCL or the Citizens Climate Lobby. And I found myself very empowered to act on climate in a way that was consistent with my values. You know, I felt like I got to have measured conversations with stakeholders that actually moved people and that caused change. And as I looked through your board of advisors, I was impressed to see such a diverse and accomplished list of people, ranging from George Schultz to Sylvia Earle, all coming together with a shared mission. What is unique about CCL's vision and guiding principles that has drawn together this unlikely coalition of accomplished and influential leaders? CCL is adamant about the need for bipartisanship and climate solutions. One way of thinking about why we do this is just that we we believe there's not really a sustainable, and I mean politically sustainable, way forward without some buy-in from both major parties in this country. Just the scope of the problem we're trying to solve demands that. There was a publication that came out recently that looked at major pieces of legislation passed between the late 70s and the 2000s. And of the 200 plus pieces of legislation they looked at, virtually none um, did not have majority buy-in from the minority party. And that might be hard on climate change, but there needs to be at least some measure of bipartisan support so that we don't just change when one administration rolls over to the next. CCL has said from the outset that we're not going to support policy, even our dream policy, if it doesn't have at least a co-sponsor from each of the two Republican-Democrat major parties in the country. And that's shown our commitment to things beyond just our short-term goals and has allowed us to bring in people like George Schultz, who's endorsed the legislation we support and who's, you know, without a doubt, the most respected elder statesman on the right uh, in this country. And in your role, what does it mean to work on the conservative side of a bipartisan climate organization? And what are some of the successes and challenges of doing that? I think the challenges will be will be somewhat obvious. This is a polarized, unfortunately, topic. Coming from a scientific background, there's this first order belief I have that, well, it shouldn't be. But the key is to get over that and accept the reality that this is a polarizing issue and start trying to look for how you can bridge those divides. And so I work with conservatives across the age spectrum. So I, I work with younger and older conservatives. And I myself am not deeply bought into the, the politics of either side of this conversation. I value markets, which is something where CCL comes from. 
And so there's a real conversation with conservatives who are interested in seeing a way forward on this problem to say, well, what are the solutions that are most in line with conservative values of small government and of personal freedoms? And it turns out there's market-based solutions in general, and then a subset of them which don't even grow government at all, which have some appeal there. And so just working to, to go out in the community and talk to my conservative friends about this, the campus Republicans at CU Boulder, in partnership with myself and some friends have come out and endorsed CCL's policy. And there's actually a host of campus Republican chapters nationwide in a coalition called Students for Carbon Dividends that have endorsed a more general framework of placing a price on carbon and giving the revenue back to the people. So especially among young conservatives, where the polling numbers back up that there's a a real concern about climate change, but not necessarily a readiness to buy into every bit of the left's narrative about it. There's There's room for a really productive conversation to be had about market driven solutions. That's really encouraging. And that's news that we generally don't hear on this side of the climate battles. And it makes me wonder how other climate activists can learn from your experiences and become more effective storytellers and messengers when they reach out to audiences with other points of view. For listeners that are more liberal, one key thing to do is not to bring in the rest of your politics when talking about climate change. Part of what depoliticizing an issue means is making it an issue which is politically isolated from other issues. I've always found it strange that in this country, you can predict somebody's views on climate with high fidelity from their views on guns or or an issue which should seemingly be unrelated. And so when talking to somebody who might disagree with you about climate, don't be overcome with the need to try to persuade them of the rest of a larger political agenda. Talk about the issue, talk about why it matters to you. And also, you know, alarmism is something that tends to work less well on the conservative side of the fence. So so having a, a more measured conversation and doing that in a genuine way uh, and connecting on a person-to-person level. I think your recent episode with Professor Boykoff here at CU Boulder really spoke to the fact that if you just lead with politics, there's really no conversation to be had with, with anybody who you disagree with. It's just very hard to walk into a room and talk to somebody about a political issue before really getting to know them. So keeping in mind your guiding principles and the challenges of finding common ground across the political spectrum... What specific types of policies are you advocating for this year? Mm. So it's not only this year, but kind of for most of the duration of Citizens Climate Lobby's existence, we've had a laser focus on really just one policy. And that's by design. It's kind of an experiment to test whether, you know, we have almost 200,000 registered supporters, whether that number of people coalescing together around just one idea, um, a big idea, is enough to push it across the finish line. So the policy we support, it's currently a bill, actually, in the, the U.S. House of Representatives called the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. It has more co-sponsors than any carbon pricing bill in the history of this country, including the the very famous big one from 2008 through 10, the Waxman-Markey bill. And it places a price on the extraction of fossil fuels on the assumption that they'll be burned later in proportion to how much CO2 they'll emit per kilowatt hour of energy you extract. And it takes the proceeds from that price and it gives them back to citizens. And then it applies the price at the border to incoming goods. So U.S. businesses can't be undercut domestically and it rebates the price to exported goods. So U.S. businesses stay competitive in foreign markets And it does this in a conditional way 
so that if another country adopts a similar policy, they don't have to pay this border adjustment cost. And so it's not just a domestic policy. It's a way of incentivizing the rest of the world to get on board. And it's particularly conservative leaders like James Baker and George Shultz. This is one of their preferred mechanism as well as as well as liberal leaders and economists for how you might use the US's not inconsiderable economic might to peacefully pressure the rest of the world into all making the transition together. What are you doing in the near term to push for this legislation? As our name suggests, Citizens Climate Lobby, we do a lot of direct lobbying of Congress. We have a lot of members with varied expertise and varied experience in their communities. Many of us just uh, everyday citizens who have gone through CCL's trainings and learned how to lobby. So the idea of a citizen lobbyist is actually something that's that's at the core of CCL. It's combining the role of citizen with that First Amendment right to petition our government. And it's saying, well, wait, 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 the lobbying space doesn't need to be reserved for rich moneyed interests. The lobbying space, in fact, should be a space which is for everyday citizens to express their concerns to their members of Congress. So we go in usually twice a year. This has been for CCL's history. We go in in June and November to virtually every congressional office um, in D.C. In June, we, we met with 529 congressional offices in one day. There's only 541 in D.C., which is counting some the six non-voting offices. We get basically to almost everyone, which is taking advantage of our biggest resource, which is our people, both in number and in competence and in desire to engage in the most productive ways possible. And when we go into those meetings, we always try to connect on values with the staff and with the members of Congress we're talking to. And we're doing something special actually coming up in in early February, which is our first ever conservative-only lobby day. So Republicans, Libertarians, some independents are going to D.C., about 80 of us or a little bit more, to meet with just Republican offices. And this is kind of a, this is a new thing for CCL. And the space that CCL has created for conservatives to kind of have their own part of this conversation and articulate what solutions resonate most with them and what way of talking about this issue resonates most. We think that kind of just having having this part of our organization uh, kind of meet up from across the country, get to know each other and have the shared lobbying experience might be a, a successful model to implement going forward and to bring more Republican offices into the conversation. Through your work on the conservative lobby day, the diversity of your board, and of course, your membership, you have unique exposure and visibility into lots of different opinions about the issues around climate change. From that visibility and exposure, what makes you optimistic that we'll be able to get together, find common ground and tackle the issues related to climate change? Oh, that's a great question. So I think there's two answers that really jump to mind. One I've already mentioned, which is youth. There's a lot of energy among young conservatives towards wanting to do something about climate change. And yet many haven't quite found the the right articulation of that. And I think Students for Carbon Dividends and, and CCL's own conservative branch are working to to kind of explore and create that space as productively as possible. So that's, that's kind of the, the first answer. The second answer is you look at the people who are switching sides in this conversation. The we should do something about climate change side to mitigate it is poaching, I would quite frankly say the most talented and strongest people, we're poaching them on the merits from the 
we maybe shouldn't do anything about this side of the conversation. So who am I talking about? Frank Luntz is kind of the master pollster and master messenger of the GOP and has been for decades. He was the one who came up with the phrase death tax instead of estate tax, and that worked political wonders in its own arena. And he has, in the wake of a California fire, dug into the climate change research and talked to people he knows in the space and been won over to the argument that this is something we should act on. And now he's working on messaging on the pro-climate side of the conversation. Another person who it just blows my mind and makes me filled with gratitude to see uh, working on this side of the, the conversation is Jerry Taylor, who was formerly the head of, I think, energy and environment at the Cato Institute, which is the one, the foremost libertarian think tank, uh, perhaps in this country. And for a long time was a climate skeptic, I would say. And he, he really wasn't convinced that the issue was worth doing anything about or that it was really even there to the degree people said. And, a person he was kind of debating in a soundbite on TV in a back room one day told him, you know, you should really look into this, this and this about the claims you're making. And he did. And uh, he describes his transition as, you know, you're at the Cato Institute and you decide that climate is something that really needs to be dealt with. He described it as imagine you were working at Mother Jones and you decided that guns were actually good. All the Christmas parties became very awkward suddenly. But eventually he he saw what he needed to do about this. And he started an offshoot think tank called the Niskanen Center. And they really focus on carbon pricing and the need for that. And he's kind of working with all the zeal of a convert to bring conservative and libertarian leaning congressmen into the conversation about, okay, what do solutions that take into mind both the US economy and the climate problem look like? So just the caliber and the talent of people and the the zeal with which they're working and the desire they have to get things done that are, are shifting sides in this conversation is, a, I think, a very promising indicator. Dan, thank you for your diligence and creativity in finding where people across the political spectrum have shared concerns and values and establishing a common ground to help create meaningful change. And thank you for joining this episode of Climate Changers. Thank you for having me. Every episode of Climate Changers has a call to action posted in the show notes. Each call to action has been curated to make it easy for you to help create the changes that we discussed today. Thank you for joining Climate Changers. Until next time.